Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. This podcast is brought to you by LarryInFishers.com. If you want a news source dedicated only to fishers, check out my news blog, LarryInFishers.com. And also, follow my Twitter account, at LarryInFishers. David George is the longest-serving Fishers elected official. That's if you go back to the town of Fishers days. He is running for another term on the Fishers City Council this year. I talked to David George at the Ignite Space on the lower level of the Hamilton East Library in downtown Fishers. If you have never visited Ignite... Just go to the library anytime it's open, come to Ignite, and one of the staff members would be happy to provide a tour. I recorded my conversation with David George midday, Thursday, October 3rd. I'm in the basement of the Hamilton East Library in the AV studio uh, located in the basement of the building. I'm with David George. Uh, David George is uh, a candidate for re-election in the Southwest Council District of the Fisher City Council. Um, I believe, and I think this is true, David is the longest-serving member of the Fisher City Council. If you go back to the town days, you're probably That's the right. longest-serving elected official Uh in Fisher, so you've been at this for a while. David, welcome. Good, good to have you back here. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, you know, council members don't always have a, a high profile, so as you run for re-election, and I know we have plenty of people in Fishers who are new residents to mm-hmm. Fishers who may not have been around the last time we had an election, just talk about David George. Talk about who sure. you are. Sure, uh, that's right. The the mayor gets the press sometimes, <laughs> and uh, so we get the uh, the secondary press. Would appreciate your time. Uh, uh, by way of background, if I go uh, way back, I'm a military kid, so I was born in Germany, lived in Italy, lived in Texas, the typical story for kids in the military. Uh, moved to a lot of different places, and then we finally moved to Indiana. I uh, grew up in Morristown, Indiana. Uh, that's where I was for the most part, very small town, a great uh, little town to grow up in. Uh, went to Purdue for civil engineering and then uh, followed up uh, by an MBA at Butler. And I've been basically a civil engineer in the community for 20-plus uh, years. Uh, it's hard to say that number, but <laughs> <laughs> something in that range. And I've done a lot of different projects uh, locally. And then also I had a stint for about eight years at Kite Realty Group where I did a lot of things uh, nationally. So I traveled quite a bit. I traveled quite a bit. A uh, portion of my main travel was to North Carolina. There, I went there 325 times. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> Have a bunch of miles, uh, uh, a bunch I've, of airline miles. I've been to North Carolina once, so mm-hmm. you got me beat there. But it's a, it's a beautiful state in many mm-hmm. ways. Um, I want to just ask you about this because you talked about your background, and you have an engineering background. You've dabbled in real estate as well, but uh, you also have a, a background in finance, which is mm-hmm. an interesting combination. What do you to uh, have an interest in finance? Uh, when I got the MBA, they had you know different directions, and I just uh, part of it's just the numbers, you know, engineers and numbers, and maybe it's better to go in a different direction because engineers need to get pulled out of their they uh, shell a little bit sometimes, but uh, I just always enjoy the, the financial aspects of, of things, and it just helps on my uh, projects. Uh, even when I was doing more engineering and less development, it just helped to, to understand not just the design, but then also the numbers that go behind that just to help uh, bring projects forward. So it's been a valuable combination. 
I know that you've lived here for 23 years 20, or so. 23 years, 1996 in February. I uh, moved here in 91, so we've both seen what Fishers was like when we moved here mm-hmm. and what it's like today. So with all of your civic and, and engagement and as elected official, talk about what you would describe as the major accomplishments you've seen since you've been involved in Fisher's government. Sure. Uh, I love the community. The more you travel, uh, whether it's around the country, around the world, you really realize that the Midwest in general and then Fisher's in particular is just a a nice place to live, good people, hardworking people. Everybody gets up and does their job every day. But uh, you're right, uh, Fisher's has seen some changes. Uh, When I moved to the community, I lived at 116th and Allisonville in Connor Creek. the Kroger that's there now that just got remodeled on the other side of what used to be the marsh, that was a field. And then you go further south of that, it was a field. If you went to 69 and 116th where the uh, hotel is, that was a, a boat dealership. But the problem is it had been closed for about 10 years and boarded up. And the target were soccer fields. That's all. That's so. true. I remember it all. And yeah, uh, yeah you, you can say that's, that, that is definitely proper. Yeah, I remember the old, uh, the old boat store that hadn't even been around for a while. Yeah. Uh, but the, and now, go ahead, please. Yeah, sorry. Uh, but the neat things as far as moving forward, one that I've really um, enjoyed being a part of was uh, we really didn't have um, not even a downtown. I just mean a, a place to collect and just do things together. And I think the amphitheater has been able to provide that activity over the last, believe it or not, almost 10 years of doing concerts. We had the small stage out front. Um, that was a neat opportunity, but it was on Tuesdays. You could only do it on one day. You couldn't utilize it for other parts because it was almost a put-together-and-take-down stage. So the amphitheater was really an idea to, to try to create an activity space so that you could use it for concerts, but the farmer's market and all the other things that it has started to become. And the thing that I like about it is when I go to concerts from basically halfway back forward, you see people watching the concerts. But if you look behind you, you see mom and dad's playing ball with their kids and stuff like that. And those kids, now that it's been there 10 years, say they were eight or 10, well, now they're in college and they're going to have those memories and hopefully want to come back home. So that's been um, pretty valuable uh, to watch that. That was around when the amphitheater was first proposed. You were a big proponent of that. And I know you're an avid bicyclist, and sometimes you would like to bicycle by just to see what the crowd's That's like. Right. And uh, you might not stay for the whole concert, but what I'm hearing you say is you think it's been a good investment for the city. Uh, I think so. Your Southwest District has some uh, particular issues that uh, it is trying to deal with. Describe the issues that you think is would be specific to your district and how the city's sure. trying to address that. Sure. Um, many years I've tried to grow organically, just uh, you know, just an email and just uh, an HOA database, and I've tried to work with every neighborhood. I've got about 53, I think, that are within the district. Uh, so a lot of what I hear are drainage, sidewalks, uh, roads, and those are kind of near and dear to my heart, too, because when you think about a subdivision, if you build it, uh, five to ten years down the road, you'll need to do a little bit to the roads uh, inside that neighborhood. But then further on, you're going to need to do a major upgrade. But if you think about Fisher's growth, a lot of the growth happened about 10 to 15 years ago. So several years ago, we started to, to plan for that, look at the, the road conditions. So it's not political. It's just go out and find out what the road conditions are in every neighborhood, and then let's put it together so that this road needs to be done a year from now, this one three years from now, this one five years from now. And lo and behold, when you add all that up, it was much, much bigger than our current budget. And that's not that we weren't planning correctly at that time. It's just that we didn't have that amount of miles coming online that needed to be repaired. But we knew it was coming, and now we've worked on the budget. So it's gone from about 500000 to $4 million per year. And that gets us closer at where we need to be. So going forward, a lot of people say, hey, we need to do our subdivisions. Um, I'd say, yes, I agree. But now I can say, yes, I can agree 
and we've worked together to to make sure that that budget is where it needs to be. And when I bring that up, it's not just 116th Street getting repaved or Hague Road. It's all the different neighborhoods. And I and that's clarified by over the last year, I had a realtor friend that was showing homes in Lake Stonebridge. And they went through, and somebody didn't have anything to do with Fishers. They just moved, flown in, got in the car with the realtor, and the realtor was driving through. And they said, well, well these houses are nice. What are these about? five years old and she said no they're 20 mm-hmm. and it's just that simple fact of updating the things that we own in the right-of-way um, it gives that home and those subdivisions an upward trajectory yeah i want to talk more about that later but i want to go to something else because i i thought back to all the times i have covered town council and city council meetings and and i, I have no empirical evidence but just based on my memory i think you voted no more often than any particular member of either the town or the city council. Mm-hmm. I don't say that in a negative way because I want to talk about it this way. Uh, do you think that the fact that you're an engineer causes you to approach some of these votes differently than others? Um, maybe a little bit, maybe just um, some experience because sometimes when you can think back to, well, this project happened and now 15 years have gone by from that project happening. So I think two or three that I can think of recently um, – Number one uh, was the yard. Great project. Very supportive of the project and and, and uh, actually that team bringing it forward. They've done uh, great work in Fishers. But I simply ask in that case, uh, they were doing an expansion in between there and the Kroger. And this has happened to me on other projects in North Carolina or other places. Uh, municipalities have come to me and said, hey, can you revise your site plan a little bit? We'll work with you and make sure that what you're trying to achieve is there. But we can make some things um, more valuable so that 10 years from now when that building's not brand new and people are wanting to come into something brand new, we want to make sure that it's set up so that when it's a little bit older that people still want to come. So, for instance, there, there's a nice tree line that kind of solidified what's on 116th Street and what's in the back. And I felt like you could still achieve what they wanted to and preserve some of that so that you could have that look and feel. So um, if it – you know, if it's not where I need it to be, then I vote no. And if you get your five votes, that's great. No, nope. well, I was about to no say that, there. that was that was my next question about that project. But one thing I noticed going back on my notes for that meeting, mm-hmm. is, you stated and tell me if I'm wrong that if there had the changes that you wanted had been made, that there would be no need for for a TIF financing on that. What did you mean? It by would that? revise because okay. part of what they wanted was um, there. I mean, this, there's a little bit of a stream. And you're trying to basically pipe that. So there's a cost to tear down the trees, but there's more of a cost to grade over that. Where my point was a portion of them asking for the amount that they were is to do something to take out the trees and to basically flatten it. I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just flatten it. Mm -hmm. So if you didn't do that, some of their costs would go down, which means some of their requests would go down. Mm. So. That's just the way I was trying to think through it. And you had some other council members who were with you on that vote, but it did eventually pass. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, at the There was just recently, a couple of days before we record this, a uh, League of Women Voters candidate forum. Mm-hmm. And you did talk about, about tax recommend financing, and so did the other candidates. When you look at a TIF district, because it seems controversial, some people think they're a good idea, others don't, and of course there's always judgment in every case. How do you evaluate whether a, a TIF financing plan is a good or a bad sure. deal for the city? Sure, I uh, appreciate that. The um, uh, tax increment financing is uh, – the one thing I'd, I'd state is it's TIF, not TF. It's mm-hmm. tax increment. So it's as a project's built over each year, they have a payment that they make, and some of that payment is reinvested into theirs. It's not a bucket. 
And I mean this honestly, because some people, when they hear terms, they don't know that maybe there's a bucket of money over here. And because it goes to this project, it's something that can't go to repair the roads or things. It's, it's incrementally done over time. And so the way I look at it is if we're going to help and invest, we want to make sure that there's a public component. And uh, for instance, on the depot, when that came in, uh, I did a, a pretty simple calculation where the depot was the Florida and Collins project in front of City Hall. And they wanted um, to do – if you do a strip center, you've got um, surface parking, and it's it's not very much money. But if you do a parking garage, you get a little bit more density, a little bit more activity, and that's about $20,000 a space. So if you take $20,000 times the number of spaces that they had, then that came up to really what I viewed as the public component. Flipping to other areas, and I think I mentioned this the other night, but if you go up to the Saxony area – um, there was one – this is before that roundabout was in, the biggest roundabout known to man that everybody laughs about. Oh, yes. Um, but at the time, nothing was there. So no utilities were there, no roundabout, and, and nothing was available. So we uh, utilized some TIF financing and got the roundabout in. So that helped prepare that area. Hamilton Town Center was built. Um, so you had some utilities too. So we drug the utilities up Oleo Road, which allowed the hospitals to come in. So we had a benefit, and then the um, the developer came in and said, well, we've done these first two. Let's do a little bit more, like the internal roads to the west of Oleo, and then also to redo their pond. And I felt like that was – it's not bad. It's a good request, but it was just a little bit of an overreach because that was more for the developer and less for the general public. So it felt like the utilities were good. The roundabout was good because it would help them. It would help all the other parcels and the, the public in general. So I voted for that, but I voted against the other two. That, how did that roundabout happen? That is a, a topic of conversation sure. when I talk to people who live or traverse that area. Mm-hmm. Even the mayor said maybe we should have done it differently. Do you think we should? there should have been a different design there, or do you think it's going to work out over time? I think it's fine, other than okay. there's that – if you come east of 69 69- – you have that extra slip ramp, I'll call it, mm-hmm. into where the hospital is, and that's what's confusing. I think if you just got rid of that almost, mm-hmm. go into the roundabout and go the direction that you need to. So if you need to go to the hospital, go south on Oleo and then come back in. So sometimes those quick and easy routes are confusing. They're confusing to everybody. So Yes, and sometimes you have to kind of take it twice to figure it out. But yep. you're right. I, th- I would agree that's the most confusing part. Public engagement and transparency. Every campaign I think I've ever covered as a journalist, my time in Fishers and even before that, have always been talked about in, in the campaigns. So you have a very uh, interesting way, and you've already alluded to it, how you communicate with your constituents. Mm-hmm. Explain how you do that and how you try to do the transparency mm-hmm. engagement part of your job. Sure. Um, it's That, again, has grown organically. Uh, just over time, people – reach out to me and I just say, would you mind if I send you a, just a notice every every month? I do not want to inundate people. And I don't have this fancy, smancy thing where it's got like a whole bunch of, you know, survey monkey and all that stuff. It's just a simple email from me to constituents. Here's the agenda. And actually, I've added a few announcements as things come up. Here's the agenda. But then people even read the agenda. I'm like, I don't even have time to read these 15 items to know what's near my house and what isn't. So I quickly put a little summary under that. This is what this project is, and this is where it is, and then they can dive in a little deeper and reach out and, hey, I'm for this or against it. If you're against it, for it, that's fine. Here are the other council members, so you can get to them. And that's grown to, I think, about 500 people, and a lot of those are HOA presidents, and they can disseminate that to their um, mm-hmm. residents. So what I've done, and that's really been over eight years, I think, um, but it's just little by little. I get a couple emails every month, and I edit, and but it comes out, I usually send it out when the agenda is available on Fridays. And it's funny, one constituent reached out, I think, a couple months ago and said, 
I was late getting it out because it was. It was like a Saturday morning. Sorry. And they said, you know, you're making this available. And I just let them know this is already available on the sure. city website. All I do is simply cut and paste that. So I think they thought it was some separate thing. And I'm like, no, you were getting what everybody has. I'm just providing a little detail. You're being a bit of a journalist there trying to explain uh, the agenda in an understandable fashion. Mm-hmm. I had somebody just the other day stop me and say, how do you understand what's going on at a city council meeting. I said, well, it takes a little experience mm-hmm. to understand, but I think if you were, and you do have the uh, meetings on on video, they're live and they're also on uh, recorded if you want to go back and look at them. And, and some people have trouble following the city council meetings. So I guess uh, uh, you, what you're doing is an attempt to kind of cut through that just the way I try to do after the meeting is over and right. try to explain what's going on. But uh, yep. some things I know are a lot of your some are not. So well, it's just you can zoom in on what's important to you and reach out, and we'll give you information. And so. I've heard a lot of positive feedback on your email, so you've uh, you've created something there. I want to go back to the discussion you started earlier. Uh, you talked about ensuring the older neighborhoods in Fishers are kept up to date. Mm-hmm. My first home in Fishers in 1991 was uh, a ranch house in. Sunblessed, sure. which is one of the oldest neighborhoods in Fishers. And all the time I'm seeing efforts to make sure that neighborhood is upgraded. And there are a lot of others like that. That's just where my experience takes me. And some of those are in within your district. So go a little bit more into this. Um, how does the city, and I think what the story you told about the person coming in with a, re, a real estate agent for the first time mm-hmm. saying, you know, wow, these houses look nice. They're, they're 20 years old when the, the person coming into town thought they were five. five yeah. How do you keep that up? That That is something that takes some attention. The mayor has talked about mm-hmm. this, and some of your fellow council members have also done that. Talk about how the city needs to do that and needs to continue to upgrade these older neighborhoods. Sure. Um, and a lot of that is just the desirability you want to have. If you put your house for sale, it'll sell quick if a bunch of people want to buy your house. It's not, you know, sure you do a coat of paint and things like that, but the demand is based on people wanting to be there. And the thing we've had in Indianapolis in general, and Fisher's also, is in Indianapolis, it's like a ring on a tree. Well, if you go back years and years, first you were at 86th Street, and then 80, you know, then 96, and, you know, you move on. And then every 10 years, it seems like, well, let's go the next way out. And at Fisher's, it was just, well, let's go east, the next whatever road, and build a new subdivision. Well, I want to make sure that people want to say, I don't want to do that because, quite honestly, I live near the interstate and I like it. I can get in and out of places, and I don't have to drive a half hour just to get you know to different things. So that's good. But I want to make sure that people want to say, that house is 30 years old, but I want to have it because of this. And what this is is uh, different for every person. And what I mean by that is you want to have something near every zone of the community to make people, when that house is 30 years old, you want to be near it. Kind of prairie on the northwest side. You've got the amphitheater closer to the to the downtown farmer's market and things like that where you can bike to. If you go towards Geist, you have that. You have Saxony and other areas. Uh, maybe in the middle, there's some other areas for parks that we can do. So I think it's important to have those things that people want to be to so that when you put that house for sale, that newer, you know, whatever, it could be a younger couple, it could be a millennial, it could be an older couple. Uh, you want to have that whole cross-section wanting to be in that area. You were asked at that same uh, forum by the League of Women Voters about volunteer work that you do, and you'd also mentioned this a couple of other times during mm-hmm. that forum that uh, you, the cause, the one particular cause you've tried to support uh, are all the causes you've supported are tied to military veterans. Mm-hmm. Of course, you get your parent, your father was in the military, and 
and you had a military life growing up. But you also talked about a specific sailboat race you've been involved in. Mm-hmm. I want to give you a chance to talk sure. about that. No, I appreciate that. Um, 16 years, I've been going out to uh, New England for a major sailboat regatta. It's 250 boats, and it even included Ted Kennedy when he was alive, the senator, um, because it starts at Hyannis, where the Kennedy compound is, and you sail to Nantucket Island. It's Memorial Day every year. And uh, I went 16 years ago. It was a great time. But um, New Englanders are not really uh, welcoming to Midwesterners sometimes. <laughs> that is true. Uh, so the next couple of years, we said, uh, well, let's go. We're not going to do very well. We'll just get our own boat. So a bunch of us, Indiana people, we started to go out there and run a boat. And we got a little bit better. And in 2009, we won the race. And in 2014, we got second. And we've had some false starts. We've had some other years where the opposite happened. But um, eight years ago, we got hooked up with a group called Holidays for Heroes. And that's one whenever someone is tragically injured, and it could be mental things, and it could be um, different. I've learned a lot about just prosthetics and things like that, working with these guys and gals. Uh, but there's usually about three or four that they come, and, and they're in Walter Reed. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're getting healed. And then they're going to move on with their life in a new direction than they thought they were. So um, there's a list of things they can do. And if they check a sailboat race, they get hooked up with us. So it started off the first year with a New England crew. And I don't mean that negatively, but they just – it wasn't bad. They just said, yeah, we'll give you a ride over there. And then the next year they rotated and they worked with us. And we said, what do you want to do? And they said, well, one guy had one arm. He lost both legs and the use of his arm. And he said, I want to steer. And we said – you're going to steer. So we made it work. and I'm, uh, say, I'm sure he, he got that done. Yeah. You. Now, these guys and gals, they want to be in the action, and they love uh, you know race for four hours and kind of be away from things. Um, and that was Jacob Donnelly. So we uh, keep in touch with all these guys and gals to make sure that they have jobs, and not that they don't, but just help them in any way we can. But then the third year, they came back and said, thanks for doing your tour last year, and we're going to switch, and we appreciate that. And we said, no, 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 that stay with us. And they've been with us every every year since then. And then we do something locally at the Indianapolis Sailing Club, and that's probably what you might have seen, mm-hmm. where we do some fundraisers to help um, basically bring Indiana people out with us, uh, veterans. And then we do another thing on Wednesdays. There's some sailboat racing, and a lot of veterans can come. They might think, oh, it's guys, it's the Indianapolis Sailing Club, but they're welcome. And then they feel like they can come in. And I've even had one gentleman that called me, and he said, I was in Fallujah in 2005. I, I've known about this. It's been very hard for me, and I would just like an opportunity just to go and kind of uh, – if people have been in battle, I can't relate to that. But I can put them in instances with other people that have been, and they can help. It's part of our mental health initiative, and they can help and talk about that. So those are some of the neat things we've done locally to help. You, One of the many things you've been involved with is uh, being the city's appointee to the Hoosier Heritage Port Authority. Oh, yes. Yes, <laughs> I've heard about a, that. Which has been a very lively place in the last few years. I've been to a few of your meetings, and you've served as president as well as a, a member of that group. And the biggest issue you've dealt with uh, would be the nickel plate line. You've established a train uh, Noblesville North mm-hmm. up to around Atlanta area, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, it's been well known that the nickel plate line along around Fishers and, and part of the way into, into Noblesville is being transformed into a trail. And the tr- tracks have been removed here in Fishers and I think maybe even Noblesville. But uh, mm-hmm. I want to just ask you about this contentious issue. Explain how you, you know, view the 
decision made by that body because you've you've had so much in front of you and you've mm-hmm. been kind of you you were a body that not didn't get a lot of publicity for many years you were just basically preserving tra- the tracks mm-hmm. and now since the uh, rail to trail issue has has come up it's become more in the uh, public eye talk about your experience with the Hoosier Heritage Port Authority sure. um uh- I go into more detail than you mean, but engineers go into details. I've been on it uh, 10 to 11 years, and that's a, a long, long time. And, and most of those we meet quarterly, nobody shows up. No one is there. And just like you said, it's to maintain the tracks. And when I first got on, I thought I was one of the new people on the council. I said, hey, here's one of these boards. You need to go on that. Okay. I thought it was neat because I always liked the you know the, the fair train and, and all those sorts of things. And it was a neat opportunity. And then I worked many years just to help. Uh, the operator at the time to go through and, and uh, there's all sorts of little things that happen behind the scenes to make sure that there's an accident here or there's something wrong with the track there to make sure that it's maintained and it's safe for uh, families to use. Um, there was a little bit of contention towards the end with um, uh, it was hard to get a contract, a simple contract. And if you have a house and you want to rent your house, you're going to have a contract, the person that wants to be there. Well, in this case, we are representing the three owners, and we had to have a contract for the different use. And we, for whatever reason, the different lawyers just weren't able to get that done. So then we went to what's called a policy of use. We said these are the, like, ten things that we need done just to make sure that the safety's there. Um, there was a little whistleblower incident, and then some things came to light that maybe some of those items weren't uh, maintained. So we just said you need to have that in place, and uh, and that just didn't happen. So we had to – remove that opportunity to use the line and that created kind of a different aspect which is if you go back 10 to 15 years when the line was purchased you purchased the line and you had to run something on it and that's how you protected the right-of-way since that time there is now what's called a rails to trails surface transportation product project or um, through the federal government to do that so the mayor basically said look if it's not going to be used for a train Here's an option. I want to explore that. And as you know, Scott Fadness, he will he'll run and, and, and cross T's and dot I's and, and get things done. So he went in that direction. So at the same time, we had heard maybe there's some other operators. So we went out quite simply and said, who would like to be on here? And we had um, five proposals. One was all freight. Nobody wants to have freight trains running through Fishers. One was uh, this hybrid, and then there were three. There were a little bit in between. There were more. Hey, we'll go to the fair train. We'll go to the um, the Colts games. And if you read deeply in each one of those, it was a little bit of a, well, we'll try to get some connections to the south because if you connect to um, the Colts game, then you got there's a connection down there. That also brings in the opportunity for rail that has freight on it. Mm-hmm. So some of those proposals even said, well, we use it for storage. And I don't know that it would be in Fishers, but the Indianapolis portion would say you're just storing – all these so it just seemed like a weird so you had one freight one kind of a hybrid and then three a little bit in between that so we picked two of the extremities and said there you go owners um, let us know what you'd like to do so they debated and they picked the hybrid which i think has actually been pretty successful more than i thought of the train going north because i thought everyone would want to go south but truly uh, because i'm a kid from the southeast side once we stopped moving in the military so we'd go to Metamora. I don't know if you've been in that direction. I have, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a train, and then there's actually um, uh, uh, gosh darn it, forget the. It's been several years since I've been down. There. Yeah, it's yeah. A, tra- a canal. But that's, that's right. There Indiana, is a canal there. Yeah. Indiana had a canal and a train, and we actually um, uh, did try to do both. So they have it down there, and you can go do a train. So it's a very separate area where you don't go over because that's the other problem when you go south. You have 
116th Street, 146th Street. You've got all these different major crossings that you have to do. But when you go north, there are crossings, but they're a little bit less um, used. So now we've done um, some things with the bridges to make sure that everything's taken care of so that train can go to Noblesville so uh, residents can pick things up in Noblesville. They've got um, a liquor license, like beer and wine, so they can do a lot of dinner operations and things like that, and they've been pretty successful. And the trail, as you know, is is heading in, in that direction to the south. I'm running out of time, but I have yep. one follow-up on that because uh, the trail, which is soon to be under construction, um, is is there because of a rail banking system. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get into the weeds on that. What I understand it, that means that there is a possibility that there could be rails put on there again, but it's mm-hmm. been banked mm-hmm. to allow for that trail. And this has been happening all throughout the country. I've never looked at this, but other journalists who have studied this have, have written that once you're rail banked, you never go back to the rail. I mean, no, you potentially could do it, but nobody ever has up to this point. So do you think the trail is it as far as fissures and, and points a little north and maybe even someday south? I think the trail's probably it for a different reason, and that's okay. the uh, the legislature. Uh-huh. And I don't mean this negatively, but in their wisdom said that uh, basically bus rapid transit is the direction that we're going to go and that rail's not going to be a selected option. Um, and that really, I didn't mention that a minute ago, but that was another one that happened about the same time the operator issues were happening, and that's really... Uh, limited it, and now we have a bus rapid transit uh, in different areas. People are supportive or not supportive, but the fact is that's what the option has been for the Indianapolis region. As I've traveled the country, mm-hmm. you almost had to pick one type and stick with it. And I've been to Vancouver in Canada, Vancouver in Canada. Um, they've got a, a major rail line, St. Louis, Charlotte, things like that. But then I've also been to other areas that bus rapid transit. So you need to pick one. It seems like Indianapolis, um, because of some of those decisions, that's the direction that's going. And the uh, red line is one of those. The red line is the one I'm mentioning. Yeah. And there's some others planned, but you're right from the airport in, but they're, they're all bus rapid transit. Mm-hmm. Last question. It's the same question I ask any candidate. Uh, you're talking to me. Imagine I'm a potential voter in the Southwest District. I said, Mr. George, I've looked at you. I've looked at your opponent. In about two minutes, tell me why I should vote for you. Sure. There are uh, three main I've, – I've enjoyed being on the council. I've enjoyed interacting uh, with residents, uh, just handling just different drainage problems or road – things that you'll probably never hear about, but, you know, we work on them. So January 5th, when it was negative 5, I was out at a subdivision. We worked on a drainage. It was actually filling up because of that. So I actually enjoy doing that. So after church, I ran out. We walked in the pond, and we figured it out. Um, but little things like that happen. But I want to look forward and not back. So forward, I'd like to make sure that we do the things that we have done and will continue to do for our public safety. They're accredited, both police and fire, and that includes our mental health training. Uh, like I mentioned, our road paving budget has gone from 400000 um, yeah, four, five hundred thousand to four million, which is where it needs to be, and I want to make sure that that stays there. And I'm the one that's kind of led the charge. Not that others haven't, but that's something that's very important. And on the west side, I don't think we talked about it, but there's a unique opportunity where we're starting to think about. You've got a trail in the downtown. Well, what about some sort of extra connectivity on White River, which I think can connect to 116th and Allisonville and 96th and Allisonville. And if you want more of an energy trail, you know, where you're around restaurants and things, you can do the nickel plate. But if you want to get back to nature, I don't mean develop White River. I just mean put a trail in. You can walk along White River, and if you think about it, you could go from Noblesville all the way down into Indianapolis where Harry and Izzy's and Bicycle Garages. There's actually a huge park that's back there. You can barely see the trailhead off of 96th Street. Well, that can all be redeveloped. And we've been talking to Carmel about a pedestrian bridge. 
at 106th Street, which would connect our Heritage Park on the other side. So those are the things I like to focus on. Well, 30 minutes goes quickly. Uh, David yep. George, your uh, candidate for re-election, Southwest Council District, Fisher City Council, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. This podcast has been brought to you by LarryInFishers.com. My local news blog follows news in and around the Fishers area, so check it out. Once again, find it at LarryInFishers.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter, at LarryInFishers. My name is Larry Lannon. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.